So there's this pastor who always starts each service with these words, the Lord be with you. And the church responds with, and also with you. You guys know it, right? And so one Sunday he got up to the pulpit and he said, there's something wrong with the microphone. And the people responded, and also with you. Now, my, my assumption is that they weren't actually saying that the pastor was a problem. It's just that they didn't hear him clearly because of the sound system. Or maybe they weren't really listening at all to what he was saying. Maybe the church service had become sort of routine, and the pastor and the people had forgotten the meaning of the words that they were saying. We never want to get there, do we? We never want this to be routine. We never want to gather for church. Remember last week I said, if, if you are a follower of Christ, stop going to church. But you all came back, so that's good because you didn't come back to go to church. You came here to be with one another, to, to worship God, receive from God what he has for us, and to care for one another. And, and I want you to think of that last thing I said. We gather together to care for one another. So every Sunday we gather together, we should come with expectation. Not only God is going to work in us and we get to worship him and enjoy his presence, but we also get to minister to one another. So we should be prepared when we gather on Sunday mornings. Who Whose life can I encourage? Who can I speak a kind word to that will lift them up? So we come for each other, not just to be with God, although that's the main thing, but certainly we come to be with one another and to encourage one another and to care for one another. So let's try something. It's a short, responsive reading. I think it's up here. All right, I'll be the reader and you be the church. Right? Be the church. All right, so here we go. The battle is real. We have Jesus, our deliverer. Awesome. So there's the sermon tweet right there. It's on your bulletin. So tweet that. Put it on Facebook. See what the world says to that statement. The battle is real. Thanks be to God. We have Jesus, our Redeemer, and the new way of the Spirit. So today we're going to continue in the book of Romans, chapter 7. We're going to look at the whole chapter. There's so much in chapter 7 we could spend weeks on. We're not going to do that, though. I want to focus on this truth, and we just said it together. Let's try it again. The battle is real. The battle is real. We have Jesus, our deliverer. And the new way of the Spirit. All right, so let's listen to what God is saying to us through the book of Romans chapter 7. Betsy's going to now read Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. 
but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, for I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Reminder number one, passion for sin bears the fruit for death. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Passion for sins bears the fruit of death. Before becoming a dedicated follower of Jesus, these people Paul is talking to in chapter 7 were living in the flesh. They were dedicated to themselves. 
They were dedicated to their best ideas, to their best plans, to their best way of doing things. Their sinful passions bore the fruit for death. And if we're honest, we know that this is true. Sin bears the fruit for death in our own lives. Something dies in us whenever we sin. Have you ever done something sinful and you, and you like hate yourself for the rest of the day? Like, how could I have done that? You don't have to raise your hands because you're all guilty. And so am I. And that day is not filled with life, is it? It's filled with what? It's a dead day. It's like, this is horrible. Just death. And when a person is passionate about their sin, they don't even recognize their sin. Then they're dying and they don't even know it. So passion for sin bears the fruit for death. Paul wants followers of Jesus to remember this. And he wants Jesus' followers to remember they have been released from the passions for sin. And they have a different passion, which leads to reminder number two. Reminder number two, passion for Jesus bears the fruit for God. Ah, that sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Passion for Jesus bears the fruit for God. Passion for sin produces the fruit for death, but passion for Jesus produces the fruit for God. So the dedicated followers of Jesus bear fruit for God and not fruit for death, because they died to their sin, and now they belong to Jesus. This is what Paul said in verse 4. He said, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, that's Jesus, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So dedicated followers of Jesus have a new life that comes from Jesus, this new life, bears fruit for God. Karen, it's really good to see you today. And Betsy and Tara and I visited Bill in the hospital with Karen. Karen was there and their daughter, Sarah. Um, keep praying for Bill. Uh, but as we conversed, uh, Bill and Karen shared their story about how they came to know Jesus. And they talked about a neighbor who was nice to them and was kind and talked to them about Jesus. But one day, uh, there was some kind of accident, and uh, Karen's car got crunched, and the neighbor fixed the car. And Karen, and Karen said, well, thank you for fixing our car. What do we owe you? And this, these neighbors said, you owe us a visit to our church. They went to church. I don't remember if it was that first Sunday, but they soon after, both Bill and Karen gave their lives to the Lord. And the trajectory of their life changed dramatically. And so this neighbor, but a passion for Jesus, was bearing fruit for God. And part of that, that couple's fruit is Bill and Karen Thompson. But also for us, we've enjoyed the fruit of them being part of our church family. Amen? So bearing fruit, passionate 
followers of Jesus bear fruit for God. And that leads to reminder number three. Dedicated followers of Jesus serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now when I read that, I thought, I've read that a hundred times, but I read it and I thought, man, that is the new way of the Spirit. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? I get to serve in the new way of the Spirit. So what is that? This is what Paul says in verse 6. He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul writes later in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what is the new way of the Spirit? The new way of the Spirit is freedom. Freedom to be who God has created us to be once we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. When we're no longer in bondage to sin and instead dedicated to Jesus, we live in the new way of the Spirit. We live in freedom. Jesus said it this way, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the new way of the Spirit is to abide in God's word and follow Jesus in freedom. Have you ever had a terrible day? I ask, I'm asking easy questions today. That, you know that day, almost nothing goes right. Everyone around you is angry. They treat you with disrespect. Your car breaks down. Your dishwasher leaks into your basement. Your dog pees in your shoes. Remember that day in my life? Everything you planned to do is ruined because everyone else had a different plan for you that day. And at the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow and you wonder, is tomorrow going to be better or worse than today? You know, that kind of day is terrible because it was captured by the people around us and the, and the circumstances we were in. So, the new way of the Spirit, and yet we have bad days. How is it possible that Jesus brings us freedom, this new way in the Spirit, yet we often feel like we're living in bondage and captivity? We want God to free us from this bondage of people and circumstances, but he already has. But, if it, but instead of living in that freedom, we surrender our freedom. Isn't that interesting? We're, we're free to surrender our freedom to other people and to our circumstances. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, you're actually free. But it's up to you to live in that freedom. You're free to give up your freedom or you're free to live in that freedom. You're free to serve in the new way of the Spirit, or you're free to serve in the old way of the written code. So the freedom we have in Jesus is internal, 
not based on the people around us or our circumstances. It's a freedom from within. It's the new way of the Spirit. And the world can't steal that from us. We can give it to them, but the world can't take it from us. So Paul has these three reminders then for believing faithful, uh, trusting, dedicated followers of Jesus. Number one, the passion for sin you used to have resulted in bearing fruit for death. But you don't have that anymore. Reminder number two, the passion for Jesus you now have bears fruit for God. And reminder number three, you now serve in the new way of the Spirit. So something we all need to decide, who or what will we be dedicated to? Will we choose to either be dedicated to the bondage of self and sin, or will we choose to be dedicated to Jesus and live in the freedom, live in the new way of the Spirit? So Paul's just getting warmed up now. That's some reminders for faithful, dedicated followers of Jesus. So now the people listening to Paul, they were struggling with this new way of the Spirit, this freedom he was talking about. They were thinking, didn't, didn't we have, don't we have to follow the law to be good, to be good enough to be loved by God? So in verses 7 through 13, Paul addresses their struggle. Don't we have to follow the law to be good enough for God? Have you ever felt that way? I'm just not good enough for God. So this is what Paul says, how he addresses this struggle. First, the law points to life. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. The law promises life. Live according to the law and you will experience life. Imagine what life would be like if everyone just obeyed the Ten Commandments. Only one God, no idols. Never, never speak the Lord's name in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, six, that's six. Do not murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not lie. Ten, do not covet your neighbor's stuff, your neighbor's wife. Imagine if the world, everyone followed just the Ten Commandments. This would be like heaven on earth. But the law doesn't create heaven in the real world instead the law reveals sin paul wrote yet if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin so paul reminds us that it is sin that produces death and not the law paul also acknowledges that the law the law does give sin the occasion to stir up in people sinful desires here's Here's what he says. From apart from the law, sin lies dead. Verse 8. Verse 9. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So think about our human nature, our sinful nature. We often respond to boundaries, to rules, and to laws by trying to figure out how to break them. 
I remember back in my youth pastor days, right? What are the rules, Pastor Tim, when we go on a trip? What are the rules? You know why they asked me what the rules were? To see how close they could get to them without breaking them. And my answer was, here's our rule. We get as close to Jesus and his word as we can. And then you don't have to worry about any of the other rules. I did have rules, though. But that was the main one. Get close to Jesus. You don't have to worry about the other rules. But our human nature says, what are the rules? How can I get as close to them as I can without breaking them? Or how can I break them without getting what caught? Paul tells his own story. He says, sin produced in him covetousness. Paul, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. He wanted, and, and we're talking about the Apostle Paul, not when he was Saul, but after he had given his life to Jesus. He still had covetousness in his heart. He wanted other people's stuff, other people's power, other people's fame and prestige. And so he struggled with that. He said this in verse 11, For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So what is this deception Paul is telling us about? So there's two parts to this deception. The first is this. See if you uh, relate to this. The first is this. We think we can be good enough for God if we do enough good things. And we must be good enough for God to love us. Right? You guys get that? So we try to be good enough, but we can't be. So we get mad. First, we get mad at ourselves. I can't be good enough. And then who do we get mad at? We get mad at God. And when we get mad at God, then we move into part two of this deception. We decide God's law is actually bad for us. That it actually robs us of our freedom. That it robs us of our joy. It robs us of love. It robs us of good times. We think the law is written by this cosmic cop who wants to ruin all our fun. And so what is outside the law looks better than what is inside the boundaries of the law. Did you know that if you drive your car too fast, that could be dangerous? It could lead to death. So there's a law. It's called a what? A speed limit. The law reminds us not to drive too fast. The law is there for our protection. But we are always in a hurry. And we want to drive fast. So we get mad at the law. And we drive as fast as we think we can without getting a ticket. And so we drive 34, not 35, we drive 34 into 25 on a residential street because at 34 we know we probably are not going to get a ticket. But then at 34 you're driving down the residential street and a child runs out and you're going too fast to stop. And you hit the child and then something in you dies.
In Romans 7, 11, let me read it again. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and, and through it killed me. Because now I have to live, and I'm adding this, because now I have to live with the damage that I have done to that child that I hit with my car. See, God's law, his direction, his word is for our protection. And we must refuse to be deceived by sin. We must refuse to believe the lie that being outside of God's boundaries is better than being inside his boundaries. The law is there to show us our need for the one who gives us freedom. It's not there to take us, take our freedom away. This is what St. Augustine says. He wrote this, God commands what we cannot do that we may know what we ought to seek him for. If we follow the law, life would be amazing. But we can't follow the law. And so we need Jesus so we can live in the new way of the Spirit. One night, a drunk husband snuck up the stairs quietly. He looked in the bathroom mirror. He bandaged his bumps and bruises he'd received from a fight earlier that night. Then he proceeded to climb in bed very carefully. And he was chuckling under his breath, thinking, I got away with it tonight. I pulled one over on my wife. And when morning came, he opened his eyes, and he looked up, and there was his wife. And she said, you were drunk last night, weren't you? And he said, how did you know? Well, she said, if you weren't drunk, then who put all the band-aids on the bathroom mirror? (laughs) We face such a dilemma as followers of Jesus. We've experienced Jesus. He's changed our lives. We have this certain hope that we will live forever with him. We have this partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in us and we joining him in his work. And we're becoming less and less sinful and more and more like Jesus. But at the same time, we totally identify with this dilemma that Paul faces. Paul says this. I got to say, when I hit this passage in Romans, every time I read Romans, I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for Paul's writing this. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Can anybody else identify with that? That is unfortunately a daily occurrence in my life. Don't do what I want to do, and I do the very thing that I hate. And Paul goes on to say, he says, I desire to do what is right. I desire to do what is right. And I know all of you desire to do what is right. No one, none of us woke up this morning and said, man, I, I desire to do a lot of bad things today. I want to hurt people especially the people I love the most. I just can't wait to be bad today. Now, I know there's some people that do that, but they're not followers of Jesus. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't wake up in the morning and go, I want to do bad things today. And then Paul says, I do not have the ability to carry out what is right. That is such a countercultural statement to make. At work, at home, at school, anywhere we go, we're expected what? To do what's right. At Harvey High School, there's three rules, right, Brandon? Three rules. I won't put you on the spot. I know you know them, right? Rule number one, be on time. Rule number two, do your best. Rule number three, do what's right. And Paul says, I can't. I don't have the ability to do what's right. It says, I have no ability to do what's right. In verses 22 and 23, he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul describes this battle that is raging in his life. And it rages in every one of us. As followers of Jesus, we'll want to follow him with our heart, mind, soul, our body, all our strength. We want to follow Jesus. But we struggle with sin. The battle with sin is real. We can't deny it. And so we need to recognize our wretchedness. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest followers of Christ that has ever lived, he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's so negative, isn't it? Went to church today and the pastor told me, I am wretched. Don't post that on the internet. unless you followed up with the rest of the story. But Paul isn't saying we're wretched and without hope. He's saying we're wretched without Jesus. Are you thankful for warning signs? When you see a warning sign, do you obey the warning sign? Tara was out one night on patrol that windy day, power lines down, and so her and her partner had to block off an intersection where there were live wires sparking and stuff. And some guy drove right through the warning sign and got the wires caught up in his wheels. And then he went to get out, and they're like, don't get out of the car. Thankfully, they said, try, just keep driving. And the, he drove, and the, and the wires came unhooked, and he survived. But he ignored the warning signs. I was driving years ago uh, down a country road. I don't even know where, but one of those roads that was straight forever. I must have been out west driving, driving. It's at night, and, you know, I get a little sleepy and kind of zone out. I'm just driving, driving, driving. And all of a sudden, I'm like, there's a big yellow sign with an arrow pointing that way. I wonder what that means. Oh, I better turn. And I turned. And if I hadn't obeyed that warning sign, I would have gone off the road into who knows what. So when Paul says, wretched man that I am, this is a warning to us. Without Jesus, 
We are headed in the direction of wretchedness. So when we dedicate our lives to Jesus through believing, trusting, faithful faith, we bear fruit for God and we live in the new way of the Spirit. We have an internal freedom that the world can't take from us. But we struggle with sin. The battle is real. We struggle with the deception that God wants to keep us from life and that sin will give us life. And we find ourselves in this dilemma. We desire to do what is right, but we can't without Jesus. We want to do what's right, but we do the things that we hate. Without Jesus, we're wretched. And so Paul tells us in verse 24, 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Jesus will deliver me. Thanks be to God. Even though we're struggling with deception and the dilemma of sin, God is with us. And Jesus delivers us because he paid the price for our sin. And so the battle with sin is real, but Jesus will deliver us. Jesus is our deliverer. So if we want to experience the new way of the Spirit, we need to run to the deliverer, who is Jesus. So we must refuse to be deceived by sin. Sin is never life-giving. If you ever are like, you know, this is, I just need this little sin in my life to give me a little life that I don't have. Sin is never life-giving. Do not be deceived. I've been deceived. Sometimes it's like, whoa, what was I thinking? Do not be deceived by sin. And we must recognize our wretchedness without Jesus. And we must run to our deliverer to experience the freedom that comes with the new way of the Spirit. When your car breaks down, you call a tow truck. When your house is on fire, you call the fire department. When you need to be delivered from the deception and dilemma of sin in your life, you call Jesus. Amen? So let's say this together, all together. Forget the reader church thing, all together. The battle is real, but thanks be to God. We have Jesus, our deliverer, and the new way of the Spirit. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www dot kurtlandchristian dot o r g